0: Good day, listeners. Welcome to this edition of the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. We're glad to have you here with us. My name is Jonathan, and we have a special guest on the line with us. We've got John Van Arnhem. And did I say that name right, John?
1: Yes, you sure did, Jonathan. Thank you.
0: Okay, good. I love it when names are spelled the way they sound or they sound the way they're spelled. So thank you for that. Uh, (laughs) um, So, John, uh, tell us where you are, where you're located. Where's home base for you? So I am in uh, North Carolina, uh,
1: and I live just outside of Asheville, North
0: Carolina. Okay, awesome. Well, listeners, I'm I'm really excited to uh, to introduce you to John and just uh, some of the the work that he's doing, especially to help parents and just dealing with this seemingly never-ending sea of trouble with pornography and how do we navigate the culture that we're in right now. And so I don't want to waste any more time, John. I would love for you to just dive right in and just kind of give our listeners uh, the lay of the land, like who you are, sort of where do you come from, you know, this man in a cape who's helping parents deal with this (laughs) unbelievable, seemingly insurmountable problem of porn. (laughs)
1: Well, <laughs> um, I appreciate that. I think the, um, uh, the man in the cape analogy is necessary. We need one, um, but I can assure you that, uh, uh, that I stop at the man part. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you know, so I was working in Los Angeles, California uh, in advertising and became aware of a lack of conversation uh, in the search engines about the ubiquitous nature of online pornography and how it related to young children. Um, a lot of folks, uh, have stories about their addiction and their recovery from addiction. That story is not mine. Uh, A lot of folks have a story about how they were called or moved to this topic that was also not mine. Mm -hmm. I really identified a lack of conversation and just decided, um, after a lot of work, candidly, uh, seeking out a group that would stand up, uh, lend their name to this topic, Uh, and I find myself simply as a dad. And someone who is unafraid to take this topic uh, on head-on, uh, and I believe it has been that um, sort of ideal that uh, we at the third talk have tried to tried to emulate. That has shown the limited success we have had so far.
0: So let's talk a little bit about the the impetus of of getting sort of interested, or at least beginning to do research in this topic. Like what what maybe was the most surprising, the most shocking, like what kind of grabbed you in the sense of like, oh my goodness, there's there's a void here, there is something that's maybe bigger than what I thought it was, like can you tell us a little bit about what was stirring either emotionally or just like what grabbed you? Sure,
1: um, online pornography searches within, within the major search engines, um, hovers around 20% of all search. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a tremendous number. Um, it is bigger than retail. It is bigger than um, certainly any one individual um, uh, piece of the pie as far as search is concerned. And I remember thinking that uh, there is, there is so much effort on the sheer volume of this larger than the NBA, um, the NHL and major league baseball combined, uh, there didn't seem to be the same sort of uh, depth of conversation around preventing young children from seeing this content. I believe it's something that we can all agree on uh, from almost no matter what walk of life we come from, where our belief systems are, where we are socioeconomically or culture, um this is really something that does not belong in the eyes of young children and uh, it was it was really that that um, uh, that became the impetus for my deciding to uh, uh, to lend my name to several great organizations that are already uh, having conversations in this regard
0: and so what did it look like then for you to start venturing into connecting with parents and teens and and i mean like what were some of those first engagements that you might've had where you were trying to take what you had been learning, the research that you'd been gathering, and then trying to deliver it to others.
1: So I began in a very large effort and thought that by, uh, working within the search engines, uh, and lending my expertise and knowledge within the search engines, I could, um, have the largest and the most immediate impact. And um, so that began as a global effort and then became a national effort, um, was really not receiving the same sort of support. Again, this this dates back to uh, 1998 um, and was really not receiving um, sort of the momentum that I thought that would naturally uh, uh, come from Um, This type of challenge for young people, uh, it was when I moved into the county with which I live, where uh, I began to get traction. And when I say that, I mean talking in schools and talking in churches, uh, doing individual counseling sessions, and um, I call them coaching sessions. Uh, I consider myself to be a coach, uh, a coach in the prevention of young children viewing online pornography. But when I um, began to get success, um, I had a very fortuitous meeting with um, a very brave and very thoughtful um, member of the Department of Public Instruction here in North Carolina, who took a real risk. I think it's really fair to say, took a real risk. Uh, nobody wanted her to include this in the curriculum and allowed me uh, a 90 minutes, uh, speaking engagement in front of the department of public instructions, counselors, administrators, SROs, teachers, and it received such high marks that they began to have me back. Um, I've done several different trainings for, um, as I said, counselors and administrators, uh, and I usually do about three of those a year and have for the last four years. That um, uh, culminated in a keynote speaking engagement with the state of North Carolina's PTA. That was for this coming up May 15th, um, obviously due to the uh, current pandemic pandemic, that has been canceled, but the momentum is certainly swinging in the right
0: direction. Mm-hmm. So, um, what were some of the uh, what are some of the key things that you're trying to communicate that is allowing for some of these doors to be open? Because obviously, there's some things that seem to just shut down certain doors immediately. Like you know, sometimes if you come in and you're leading with a moral message or you're leading with a faith type message, sometimes those things can be so like politically too hot to handle that they just kind of shut the door immediately. Um, what are some of the talking points, so to speak, that you're trying to communicate so that people can see, oh, okay, yes, well, they're absolutely, and, and I actually believe, yeah, absolutely, there is a moral component and there is a faith type component to these things, but there's more than that. There's other things that are part of the porn problem and part of the the damage that it can produce in a person's life. What are your kind of key talking points to try to get people to realize, oh, you know what, maybe I've never seen it that way.
1: So one of the key talking points that I use is um, a statement that I make where I say we would not let our young people get their driver's education by watching Fast and Furious movies nor should we allow our children to gain their sexual education by watching online pornography. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually have a short video on my site that depicts that point, but that has really resonated with both parents and children. Um, I think it's fair to say that I have determined that my strength is the ability to have this conversation in large congregations of both parents and children uh, and i'm able to deliver this information in a way that uh, does not shame does not blame does not use colorful language and also in a way that both parents and children can understand and absorb um, and when people talk to me or write me testimonials about some of the talks that i've give one of the things that they always say is that they're very surprised at how funny the conversation is Mm -hmm. Um, I, i strongly believe that humor is important i think it is how we best communicate this topic candidly there's really nothing funny about young children viewing online pornography but the delivery of that information does not have to be dictatorial Um, or sort of wagging a finger in the face. Um, My cadence and my work as a coach, I've been a volunteer basketball coach and football coach for many, many years, uh, I think has really translated to both parents and kids.
0: So let me ask you, so you said this goes all the way back to basically late 90s when you've been doing research in this area, right? That's correct. So um, so really, in many ways, you're talking about all the way back to kind of the birth of residential internet. That's <laughs> um, true. What are some of the key things that you have seen transform and change over that period of time? Because obviously, tons has changed in terms of the technology, the access points, the speed, all those kind of things. But what have you also seen change just in um, behavior patterns, maybe it be through searches or or what what people are searching for, and what have you seen change in terms of the effects that this unbelievably fast seemingly uh you know um, never ending sea of content has produced and caused in over those twenty plus years?
1: yeah, so I think one of the most important factors here is that Um, It has happened very, very quickly in a relatively short amount of time. And parents need to uh, cut themselves a little bit of a break in what seems to be a catching up. Um, In 2000, in the year 2000, this was not a challenge that we had. Um, and in the year two thousand and four, it was not a challenge that we had so really in my from my research about two thousand and five to current is when this has really become a problem and I think that that has been one of the major changes that i 've seen is that this just seems overwhelming to parents uh, as if it happened overnight and and if you look at uh, you know and historically twenty years to change an entire landscape of the way this content is delivered is um, uh, is pretty quick. I also think that there is a, uh, you know, you, you you were talking about how uh, potentially the moral message um, can be challenging. I, I, I will agree. I will also add that it's almost every message. When we take a look at filters or restrictions, we run into the First Amendment rights. If we talk about this as a moral issue, we will run into individuals' belief systems, um, uh, different ways in which people believe, some people that don't believe. And I think that the, the focus needs to be on the actual exposure to children and not some of the ancillary items surrounding this that... Uh, this is my opinion, Jonathan, just seem easier somehow to take on um, as opposed to actually just sitting down and speaking with both parents and children.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, um, you know, I think the other thing I'd like to get your input on is so we've had, you know, if you think about even the last 50 or 60 years, going all the way back to kind of uh, some of the sexual revolution in the 60s and 70s, and then uh, even going back a little further than that, when Hefner, you know, founded Playboy and some of these things, there was a there was such a cultural shift over those 20, 30, 40 years there to where porn was becoming like a culturally acceptable, culturally embraced type thing. Now, I think what we're seeing now, and I'd love to get your input on this, is because of the the speed, the affordability, the accessibility of just unlimited quantities of every kind of conceivable pornography available. Do you see the tide shifting to where people are being more open to seeing this as a public health crisis versus just, hey, you know, boys will be boys or girls will be boys, I mean, however you want to put it. The idea of the ubiquity of porn may not be as good for society as we had previously assumed. Well, I
1: think the... The verdict is in on whether or not this is um, healthy in any way for children. And certainly, my personal opinion is not one video. Um, I am very specific in my work that my um, you know I am directly challenging the young children's exposure. Uh, we have a law in the uh, United States, and uh, it's, it seems to be uh, ubiquitous around the world, that 18 is the age when this is allowed to be seen. Battling that law is, in my opinion, too difficult a challenge for, at least certainly for myself. Uh, so I speak specifically about young children's exposure, um, and I just, I just want to be perfectly clear about that. Um, but there is not one pornography video that, in my opinion, could be considered safe or just boys being boys. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, what happens is the innocence by which young children search out this content um, is, of course, met by... Uh, pornography that is just simply inappropriate by any stretch of the imagination for young people. Uh, So if you can imagine, um, you know, when I was growing up, uh, you know, we would find, you know, a friend of ours, Playboy magazine, uh, this pornography today is simply not that. Um, Mm -hmm. There may have been some sort of innocence to the interest in human beings in images of other human beings without their clothes on. I think that has been in our DNA um, since the beginning. Um, but we have a lot, we as grown-ups, we as parents have allowed this to be become uh, perverted in a way. Um, and it's exposure to young people so ubiquitous that we have a challenge now that we have ne- uh, in a way that we've never faced before.
0: You know and I heard it put this way one time by a, a researcher, and I totally forget her name, but she had done she'd done research on uh, just kind of the whole porn industry and pornography over like, I think it was like thirty or 40 year period and she was talking about the the one of the fundamental differences between just the devil, devolution of pornography uh from even like the 1980s was um, that most of pornography in the in the in that era in the eighties. You had um, full form nudity, whereas the pornography today is, is it's, the, it's, it's almost the equivalent of saying if I were to take you out to my car and I were to show you, if I were to pop the hood and show you the entire engine, the pornography today is taking each of the parts and focusing in on each of the parts so there's there's the deconstruction of a human being in the pornography today so not only what i'm hearing you say is that there's a there's a danger for young children to be just seeing pornography um because of just i think what it does to to brain chemistry the kind of things that it can the overstimulation those kind of things but even the types of pornography that are are shown today um they are they are deconstructing what it means to even be human. Would you say that's part of what you're seeing too in your research? So certainly the objectification of both men and women
1: exists in all online porn today. Um, You know, I will offer that, uh, as I've said before, pornography has been around for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. Um, This particular medium, uh, the internet has allowed this to become ubiquitous on every single device, uh, every phone, every computer, Kindle, PlayStation, Xbox. Um, it is unavoidable uh, if you are a young person today. You are going to need to have the tools by which to combat this um, almost incessant um, delivery. Um, I will also offer, and this may be considered controversial, Jonathan, I'm not sure. But I believe that when we focus on the porn industry itself, we miss the message. And what I mean by that is, I do not believe we're going to be able to put the genie back in the bottle. Um, I Mm -hmm. believe that uh, that ship has sailed. And what we now need to do is prevent and protect our young people from an inevitable exposure um, this content was never meant to be seen by young people uh, this content was never designed to be um, sort of some sort of uh, sexual education and again we as we have parents have allowed that to become the norm mostly because I think parents in general are very apprehensive about initiating this conversation. They don't know where to begin. They don't know how to say it. It's not something that they're familiar with, or if they are, they're worried about, uh, you know, questions that their children have about their use. Um, And I really try to counter that by saying, um, you know, after you turn 21 years of age, um, a parent might uh, drink beer. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we would allow our children to drink beer simply because it's something that the parents do. And I believe that is one of the largest impediments to parents having this conversation is that they just don't know where to begin. Um, and so that is what we try to do at the third talk. We just try to initiate that conversation and begin a very, um, a very long, uh, multi-conversational uh, dialogue between parents and kids that hopefully goes on um, for years and years after they uh, they meet with uh, one of our representatives.
0: Yeah, so let's talk about that a little bit. Share a little bit about just uh, the third talk and kind of what your mission is, and then and then what you really are are seeking to deliver to parents so that you can so that they will have that confidence and and the sense that okay, I I can do this. I can have this conversation with my kids.
1: Yeah, so. One of the things that I let so so there's three real tenets to the third talk. One of which is that it's not real. Uh, what they're seeing is not real. And um, and again, Jonathan, I want to make perfectly clear that that I am discussing protecting children and providing them the resources necessary to manage a inevitable exposure. I do not believe that we are going to be able to keep kids from seeing this. We need to safe, give them tools to safeguard themselves against it. Oh, so yeah. I do that in three different ways, one of which is, is saying that it's not real, literally meaning you are not seeing something that is uh, natural or that happens in real life. Um, there's a lot of money spent to make it appear as if it is just a natural occurrence, uh, but it's really not. And in the same way, um, folks would film a Fast and Furious movie if you got into the car with Dwayne the Rock Johnson or Vin Diesel to drive to the set of a Fast and Furious movie, you would be stingingly disappointed in their their (laughs) belts on, putting their hands at 10 and 2, adjusting their mirror, putting on their blinker and driving the speed limit to the set of the movie. Um, That is not how people behave in real life. And it has been created specifically uh, for Excitement, uh, again, not dissimilar than a Hollywood action movie. The second thing I let people know is that it's not healthy. And what I mean by that is that uh, there is dopamine that is released in the brain that can flood the brain with a very positive sensation. Uh, Medical doctors would be more specific uh, than I would be as a coach. Uh, But what happens is we're seeing in 2011, there was a study that showed 14, 15, 16, and 17-year-old young men watching an average of 50 pornography videos a week. That's better than seven a day. And what they determined is that it wasn't just the titillating nature of this content to a young person, but it was the release of dopamine. Mm-hmm. So if you get your dopamine released by kicking a soccer ball into a soccer goal, uh, you're going to become a good soccer player. If you get your dopamine release by uh, winning a uh, spelling bee or getting an A plus on a math test, uh, you're going to become great at spelling or at math. Uh, unfortunately, if young children uh, receive their dopamine release by watching online pornography. And we're seeing this in in huge numbers, obviously. Um, Unfortunately, kids are going to become very good at watching porn. And once those neural pathways are created by the release of this dopamine and the um, individual and solo uh, consumption of this content, uh, it becomes really unhealthy. Now, there are debates about whether or not this is uh, addictive in the classical sense or not. I make no judgments in either direction. I will tell you in all the uh, talks that I've given and all the individual uh, coaching sessions that I've done, I do believe that this content can become compulsive. Mm -hmm. Um, Children running home from school or skipping last period to get home before their parents do so that they can get online and watch this content. I have spoken with young men who will sit in their father's chair uh, that has the back to the corner of the room with headphones on watching online pornography while their parents are 20 feet away in the kitchen making dinner um, because it just becomes such a natural, normal part of their lives. Um, that is a battle I believe we all have to wage and to let young people know um, early and often that this is not a normal way um, to spend your time.
0: Mm-hmm. So then, how do you help people? How do you help? We've got a few minutes left, and I'd love for you to be able to give some some tips on how you help parents kind of get over the hurdle of the fear, the the apprehension about just entering the conversation. And and I, if I understand a little bit about what you guys are doing, and I love the way that you said this is this is trying to invite them into a long process. Is that um, this is not about a singular moment in time. This is not about trying to say let's 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 pull together our PowerPoint presentations, parents, and deliver this one single momentary, you know, talk to your kids. What I hear that you're saying is you're trying to enter, help these parents enter into an ongoing conversation with their kids about, these, about this content, about the dangers, about um, good health. So, so how do you help parents get over that hump?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm fond of saying that um, nothing is going to take the cool out of something faster than speaking to your parents about it. <laughs> I, I, it, it this is an ongoing conversation. Uh, it is not a, a, a one-off conversation, a set-it-and-forget-it type of event. Um, it is an opportunity to begin a conversation, and I will know that I have achieved my goal when we have just simply adding this to the lexicon. We do a very good job of talking to our children about uh, drinking. We do a good job of talking to our children about smoking. We do a good job of talking to our children about drugs Stranger danger, riding in cars, even stop, drop, and roll, uh, right? There's not a child alive today that doesn't know what stop, drop, and roll means, although the opportunity for them to use that in their lives is negligible. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I say at at my lectures, I say, you know, with all due respect to anybody that's had to roll themselves out on fire, I don't know anybody that knows anybody that knows anybody that has ever had to do that. And yet, from kindergarten on, we are all aware Of how to use that information if you if you contrast that with the 15 20 even 25 times a day Our children are going to need to have the tools to combat online pornography um, That is why I believe that this conversation is so necessary Mm -hmm. now as far as as far as um, helping uh, parents get past that um, I use an analogy uh, where I will say, for example, if we were all on the beach and we were playing volleyball at a family reunion and we're having a great time and people are swimming and playing volleyball and taking in the sun and reading, if one of our 10-, 11-, or 12-year-old children walked over to the cooler and instead of grabbing a Capri Sun or a or juice box of some kind, they grabbed a, a Budweiser, opened it and started walking away, there isn't a parent on that beach that would say, Oh, well, it's just one, right? Hmm. Every parent would know exactly how to react in that situation. Um, We need to see online pornography in the exact same way, uh, that this is an immediate action. We need to let our children know far in advance of their first exposure, um, which uh, my research indicates is 11 in the United States. Uh, We need to let them know far in advance that this is not acceptable for them. It is not approved um, and that parents are aware of it. And then we need to continue that conversation in in an ongoing way. Mm -hmm. Um, Simply initiating the conversation has proven to be very difficult. And that is what we do by having um, uh, conversations in large groups Uh, We don't ask anybody to raise their hand. We don't ask anybody to give us any individual stories. And we're really hoping that when they leave, parents can start the conversation by saying, hey, what did you think of what that guy said? As opposed to, you know, honey, honey, please come in and sit down. Your mother and I would like to have a conversation with you about online pornography, (laughs) right? Um, That has proven to shut down conversations. Um, The other thing that I think it's important that parents realize is that they are not the experts here. Uh, We are not the experts here. Unfortunately, Um, our children are. Um, I certainly did not grow up in a time of online pornography um, and uh, parents that are having children now um, a lot of them also did not grow up in a time with online pornography and that this is new and they need to give themselves a little bit of a break, take a deep breath, understand that this is a difficult conversation. But to begin that conversation is only beneficial to young people and, in my opinion, our uh, culture as a whole.
0: Mm hmm. Well, John, I think uh, with this conversation, we probably only scratched the surface. We're, we're out of time, but I'd love for you to be able to share with our listeners just how they can get uh, resources from you, more information about what you guys are doing at The Third Talk. Sure. Um,
1: uh, the The website is thethirdtalk.org. Uh, we are a 501c3 here in the state of North Carolina, um, and uh, we encourage people to uh, read about what we're doing. Um, there are a few videos online. Um, we also have a uh, curriculum where we train trainers, uh, folks that want to utilize this information and deliver it to groups of people on their own. Uh, we certainly encourage that. Um, I, I would just like to add as we're, as we're ending here that uh, mine is one voice um, in, I believe, a growing um, sea of voices that uh, has really recognized that this is a problem for our kids. And so it's an honor for me to be able to be um, here talking with you now. And certainly there are massive amounts of resources online to help uh, parents uh, protect their kids from from this content.
0: Yeah, well, and, and we'll put uh, that information in our show notes so that parents can easily and quickly get to those resources. But John, thanks for taking the time and for being on the program with us today.
1: Sure. It's my pleasure.
0: And listeners, we're always glad that you're with us. And, uh, and if you're a parent out there that's uh, just, just struggling to kind of get over that hurdle of really getting into some dialogue with your kids on these topics, please reach out to us. We'd love to point you into, towards resources that can help you. And uh, we look forward to seeing you back here again next time on the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. Take care. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.